Mm-hmm. All right, we're recording on here. I'm just going to clap for you. Welcome to Everything EOS. <laughs> Make sure you're talking in the mic. There you go. <clears throat> you still got talking in the mic, even though you were looking at the camera sometimes. Yeah. But you can look at each other. Yeah, for this another. Welcome to Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit icoalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs, to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS IO. And I'm here today in studio on video with the founder of ICO Alert and now the CEO of Cypherglass, Rob Finch. How you all doing? Thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of Everything EOS. Uh, if you're joining us on YouTube, this is actually the first podcast where we've added video. Uh, I know a lot of you who are now looking at our beautiful faces <laughs> have been asking us, hey, please do a video version. Please do a video version. So if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play and you're hearing this, maybe you want to check out the video version, go search Everything EOS on YouTube and check it out. Uh, before we get started... Um, I do need to let everybody know that if you did enjoy the show, uh, please let us know by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundCloud. It lets us know that we're doing a good job. It lets us know which episodes you like better than others. So please keep leaving that feedback. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about some of the latest news and announcements around EOSIO. Uh, this includes updates on the EOS Alliance, some unexpected RAM consumption, gray listing, block producer news, CPU news, and some Dan Larimer uh, gossip about a universal basic income. Yeah, and before we get started, I do need to mention that this is not a sponsored podcast. We're just two excited members of the EOS community who, as a matter of disclosure, do hold EOS tokens ourselves. And as a final note, uh, please do not take this podcast as legal, financial, tax, professional, or any other kind of advice. Just two people passionate about this open source software, and uh, always do your own research before making any financial decisions. All right, so the big news today for for you and for the EOS community is Cypherglass back in the yeah. top 21. Thankfully, yeah, we got a, a big vote from somebody, uh, a big whale last night, 10 million EOS, voted our way, bumped us up from 25 back to 17, and it's it's been a good ride. As you know, a couple weeks ago, I think we were number 41, 42. 40-something, 40, 40 man. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't good for yeah. a little bit. After, then after fixing the Bifinex vote issue, which we talked about on the last podcast, we jumped up to 25, and now getting one of these votes back, we're back to 17, so. So we'll keep doing what we're doing. Uh, apparently, we're doing something right. So we appreciate all the votes, Congrats. everybody out there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so th- there's been a lot of issues uh, with the software. A couple bugs came up recently, but it seems like a lot of things have already been patched. Yeah. So uh, last week, there was... an leading into this week, there is the unexpected RAM consumption. You want to tell everyone about that a little bit? So unexpected RAM consumption basically allowed somebody who's acting maliciously on the network to essentially insert data um, into your account in some capacity. But basically what this means is they were using up some of your RAM that you owned that you purchased for your own needs. Um, Dan came out, he wrote a blog post on it and sort of explained why it was happening and how to resolve it and how to prevent it from happening. So ultimately, it's something I don't think anybody really needs to worry about Mm -hmm. um, now that it's fully resolved. But uh, one of the things I always like to mention when stuff like this happens is that if there was, I know Ethereum doesn't have RAM, (laughs) but if there was a little bug like this in Ethereum or Neo or any of these other platforms, it would require a hard fork of the entire platform to fix. But on EOS, these bugs are patched in hours and most people don't even know that there are bugs because they're fixed so quickly. So it's it's pretty amazing. So I I think to add to your explanation, um, for for those who don't understand how how the resources work within EOSIO, um, not everyone's a developer, not everyone's using all of the resources. So let's say one token is equal to one one billionth of, of the resources on the network. Because not all billion tokens are currently being used for, for RAM and consumption, um, you're, you're able to kind of use over your initial allotment. 
Right. And yeah, it's, it's basically the ability for developers to surge their token allotment. So if I have 1% of all the tokens, I'm guaranteed 1% of the you know, CPU bandwidth and um, eventually storage on the network. But in the case that my DAO gets super popular, I need to send more transactions, I can actually surge up to a much, much higher percentage. I think it's almost half of the network that you can take up, assuming nobody else is using their allocation. I really wish I remembered who wrote this blog post so I can credit them, but they used a really good example of, imagine um, a cafeteria that serves food. And it, 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 every day it makes enough food for a billion uh, people to eat food in the cafeteria. But if only 100 million people show up to eat in the cafeteria, then people would be allowed up for seconds to consume the other 900 million tokens worth of food in the cafeteria. Right. So what was happening was uh, malicious actors were basically abusing this policy and they're themselves using up all of that. In this situation, it would be 90 percent additional consumption so that nobody else could go up for seconds. Right. And this brought up an interesting uh, sort of mechanism on EOS, which is called gray listing. So gray listing basically allows block producers, in the event that somebody is trying to harm the network or spamming the network, it allows the block producers to sort of uh, temporarily remove a certain account's ability to surge above their dedicated allotment of bandwidth. So it's not... You're never going to, when you get gray listed, you're never going to be given less resources than you already own and are guaranteed on the network. You're simply not allowed to surge for a period of time if you're seen to be abusing it. So the account in question that we saw recently was Block Twitter, which as we know has been Weren't sending... Weren't they saying like, I love BM or... What, what, we love BM, yeah, like uh, just, Go EOS. I mean, very positive things. And I think whoever's behind that account is likely just testing the EOS network. You know, To their defense, they did bring a bunch of positive headlines for EOS when we broke all of these transaction mm -hmm. records. Now at almost 4,000 transactions per second is the, the max they've hit so far so uh, i don't think that person is necessarily a bad actor but i know some block producers have gray listed that account but it really takes all of the top 21 to prevent them from surge i think it's important too when talking about gray listing to explain the difference between um censorship and what gray listing actually is yeah so this is not censorship censorship would be if you took this account this block twitter account and just completely took away all their rights to the network they couldn't transact at all that, that would be blacklisting and like excluding them from the network. That, right. That's not what hap what's happening. Uh, going back to the cafeteria example, and I really, if you, could you look this up while I'm talking? Yeah. Uh, I really want to credit who wrote this, but using the cafeteria example, um, it would be like uh, Block Twitter would be allowed to eat their, their percentage allotment of the cafeteria food, but they are banned from coming up for seconds. Yeah, it looks like uh, Gray Mass is the one that came out with a blog post with the cafeteria analogy. Uh, so consistently Mass. one of our favorite block producers, Gray Mass, with the, their good wallet. So not surprised to see it's them. So like you said, though, the, the great thing is that all of these problems are, are being solved in very short time. Oh, almost in real time. I mean, going back to, to any problem on Bitcoin, I remember I got into Bitcoin in 2013. And for the first four years of knowing about Bitcoin, they were debating the scaling issue. That one issue just totally crippled uh, any kind of potential governance on the network since there is no built-in governance. But on EOS, it's like every week more features are added, more bugs are fixed. It's, it's pretty amazing e to see. Even before the bug was fixed, a website, um, same, cpuemergency.com. Yeah. So they created a service that basically uh, stakes a, a tiny amount of delegated CPU 
to any account once every three days you're allowed to use this so that you could use it to transfer your tokens if, if you run out of CPU yourself. Yeah. So and this is so that's an awesome service. Oh, definitely. And this has happened to some people where, you know, they go in to unstake their tokens and not understanding how the software works, which is totally understandable. They put in, you know, they unstake 100% of their EOS. And then the network says, oh, you don't have any staked CPU or bandwidth, mm -hmm. so you can't transact. You're sort of locked. But CPU emergency lets people get out. Um, I know other people have built this tool into their wallets, but it's awesome to now see a, a standalone service that's that's out there, you know, fixing this real issue for people. So I, I saw it in the um, you know, some of the Telegram channels. People would just come in crying, saying, Can please, someone please delegate me some CPU. My tokens <laughs> are stuck. Right. And I, I think something that almost everyone who um, w was using Ethereum before EOS or still uses Ethereum can relate. Um, if you own uh, Ethereum tokens, if you have ERC-20 tokens, but you don't have any ETH in your wallet, you're kind of screwed. Your tokens are all right. stuck. But in that situation, since you can't stake each other bandwidth and, and delegate them, you actually have to go buy ETH somewhere, which yeah. is, is a process in itself because we know the friction of, of buying anything. Unless you want to, I guess if you want to pay the five, six, seven, whatever the fee is for using a debit card, there's no instant way to get ETH. Yeah. You have to like, rely on someone like donating it to you, essentially. And I think it's worth highlighting why uh, a tool like delegating bandwidth and CPU to people is is built in and exists within the you know the core EOSIO code. And the main reason why is, you know, in the future, obviously, you'll be able to lease that token power to people and maybe, you know, get a little interest off of your EOS if you're not using those resources, lease them out to a developer for cheap. Or even, you know, if you really support Everpedia and you want them to have more CPU and bandwidth, you could delegate some of your EOS tokens, your EOS token power, while still maintaining control of your EOS, you can sort of do that community good and help them, you know, continue to run their network and continue to scale, which I think is a great feature built in that will only help to, you know, strengthen the community and, and power these dApps. Re I mean, resources are just such a big part of this network and yeah. how, how they're allocated, how they're delegated, and it, it's all coming to fruition slowly but surely. And it's really cool to see all the different proposals that have come out. I mean, even if you don't agree with some of these proposals that are coming out, you just got to be happy that people are putting the thought into it to even propose a change. Oh, I mean, even the fact that the community is so open to change and open to improvement, where so many other crypto communities, Bitcoin, you know, is the, the most notable example, are just not willing to change, not open to change. They're sort of uh, against it in, in any way, shape or form. So it's awesome that the, the EOS community sees EOS as something that is going to continue to evolve over time. And I guess that kind of brings me to our next topic. So I took part in the EOS Alliance weekly conference call this past Monday, yeah, which is really cool. And for those uh, watching or listening who aren't familiar, uh, the EOS Alliance launched what's called a 12-week referendum series. And what it is is every Monday and every Tuesday, there's a conference call, and it's global. Anyone's invited, you just got to sign up. And Monday is a mix of uh, or Mandarin, Chinese, and English-speaking people. And then on Tuesdays, it's Korean-speaking people and English-speaking people. And basically what happens was, I, I, I could tell you what happened on Monday's call, was Thomas Cox led the call. There's about 49 of us on it. Wow. And then... Uh, Half the people spoke Mandarin, half the people spoke English. So everyone uh, broke up into their own groups by based on mostly on their own language. But every Mandarin group had someone who also spoke English. And wow, then that's all great. of the English speaking groups had someone who spoke Mandarin. Um, that way, when every, everyone broke into groups and we, we discussed two questions. What should the EOS Constitution do? And what are your concerns with the Constitution? They're really simple questions, uh, but, it, but it was nice to get it out verbally and kind of put, put thought into it and, and kind of hear what other people have to say because other people's opinions might be different than your own. Absolutely. And that's the whole point of this is to facilitate this discussion. And it's really important. 
And then after every, everyone uh, came back from their working groups, everyone, um, there's a group facilitator in each group, and they came back and gave a summary of what they discussed. Hmm. And it, it was super cool. Uh, it was the first one, so there's a little bit of growing pains. I'm sure they're going to continue to get better. But as, as the uh, program moves forward, um, there's going to be more, more in-depth topics, and each working group is going to focus on a specific piece of the Constitution. Interesting. And by the end of this 12-week program, there, there might be dozens and dozens of proposals to the new Constitution, and not all of them are going to get voted in, but all of them are going to be very well thought out. Uh, people are going to discuss the pros and cons, and then they're going to go to referendum, which, as far as I understand, referendum's almost ready. I think so. I mean, based on the the podcast conversation that you had with uh, the guys from EOS New York and EOS Canada, which is a, a great episode. If you didn't listen to it, go take a look on uh, the channel. It's a, it's definitely worthwhile and sort of shows the arguments you know, for and against worker proposal fund. But part of what they talked about also was building out that referendum tool and when that will be ready. And I think they're they're close to being ready. I'm not sure that the current status of it, um, but I do know that they're making good progress and it should be. I think we're coming up on the day here. I talked to Josh Kaufman from ES Canada. What's up, Josh? Uh, <laughs> this morning to ask him kind of an update on this because he, he's he's really integrated um, in the working groups. He's working on the WPS and the referendum, so he's a really good resource uh, to speak to. And he said that they're working out some testing for it, and basically it's almost done and ready to be implemented. That's so, awesome. And I asked him, are That's there any? Huge. Is there any reason that the block producers won't approve it? He said no. Do you have any reason that the block producers won't approve referendum? I don't think so. No, I think referendum is something that everybody has been waiting for. And if you're you're watching or listening and you're going, what is referendum? What is it? It's basically a mechanism. It's software that allows EOS token holders to kind of vote on which you know constitutional amendments they want to be included. Ultimately, it's up to then the block producers to listen to the voters and implement those amendments that, that everybody votes for. But I think you would be crazy as a block producer to go against what the community wants because you're going to get voted out. I mean, there's there's... There's no easy way around that. So I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see, though, the arguments on both sides, you know, which amendments are just approved by the majority, which are maybe, you know, more contentious. Um, but I'm curious to see what people come up with. I, I think the most interesting part is the accountability layer that it adds to who everyone wants to vote in as the block producers. Because if the whole community, let's say 70% of the community supported some sort of amendment, but one of the top 21 block producers voted against it for some reason. Like they better have a damn good explanation oh, exactly. of this or they're, they're not going to stay in their position very long. Absolutely. And I think this, this all goes back to the block producers really being representatives of the community of the v people who are voting them in. So I think a lot of that is going to be tested and, and hopefully all the block producers just listen to what their constituents want and implement that. But I don't know, it'll be interesting. Maybe there will be something that a block producers gung ho about, you know, <laughs> approving or disapproving that goes against the community. So I, I guess um, there's been some other updates. Uh, mobile scatter wallet is almost ready, it seems like. Um, NS James, he posted a screenshot recently of him using, he, he's the one who's developing the scatter wallet. He sh shared a screenshot of him playing EOS Dice on his mobile phone, Yeah, which was pretty cool. Uh, I think he said he doesn't have the front end UI built yet, Right. but it's really cool to know that we're gonna have a mobile wallet soon. But we also like to speculate that Block One's working on their mobile wallet as yeah. well. And I think before we, we dive into that and talk a little bit about, uh, I think we both sort of have an idea of what might be included in that wallet and how they're gonna prevent people from abusing the free accounts. But I think just focusing on 
why mobile and why mobile wallets are so crucial is is a point that's worth bringing up. And I think the main reason comes with mass adoption. So if I can go to somebody and say, oh, you, you want to get interested in EOS? Hey, download this wallet, set up your free account. Now you can play all of these games and use all of these apps right on your phone versus the current situation, which is, hey, make sure you have Chrome installed. Make sure you get this browser and then set up an account through this other separate service. Then go to this website to play this app or play this game or, or use one of these apps that's built on EOS. It's a very... I don't want to say convoluted process, but it's a very complicated process, especially if you're new. So by sort of bringing all of that to mobile and making it a one-stop shop where you can just log in, set up your account, and then instantly begin using all of these dApps on EOS is going to change the game for mass adoption where before, very high barrier to entry. Now, after mobile is approved, very low barrier to entry to bring people into the ecosystem. And I think that is going to have a, a massive rippling effect throughout the community and throughout the dApps when we see these user adoption numbers come out. So do we want to get into the digital identity? Let's do it. So uh, this is all speculation sort of centered around what Block One may or may not announce uh, at the upcoming EOS London Hackathon, September 22nd and September 23rd. Both Dan and Brandon, I think, um, have teased, hey, we have announcements coming, but nobody really knows what they are. But I think we think we know so, what they are. So let, let's start this off just mentioning what's happening at the end of this month of September. Yeah. So London is where it's at. And Rob, you're going to be there, right? I will be there. I'm uh, also speaking at one of SVK's crypto's events uh, on the 19th, I believe, I in London. I saw that. So. Shane just um, pinned it to their Telegram channel. Yeah. I saw your name on there. Yeah. So if, if you all are in London, you want to come see me speak, it's the 19th. You can check out the, the info on the SVK crypto channel. But I'll also be at the EOS Hackathon the 22nd and 23rd. And then after the EOS Hackathon, uh, both Dan Larimer and Brendan Bloomer are going to be at uh, an event called Blockchain Live. And that's on yeah. September 26th. So pretty much, are you, what are your dates you're going to be there for? You're going to, uh, I think I'm going to fly in on the 18th, and then I may or may not stay for Blockchain Live. It kind of depends, um, but I'll definitely be there at least through the 25th. You know, to to sort of see or 24th, I guess, to see the end of the hackathon, see the awards ceremony, and go through that whole process. But I'm excited to meet so many people who I, I already know are going to be there, and I think it's going to be uh, an awesome time in London. You're going to be I'm shaking excited. hands and kissing babies. <laughs> Is that the expression? Check yeah, it out. The, I mean, being a block producer, you're, you're basically a politician. You're, you're constantly extent, yeah. uh, trying to represent the community and trying to uh, make decisions based on their will. And you're constantly uh, up for vote. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's I, always election day. I kind of view politician as a pejorative. I think it has a, a negative connotation. <laughs> but I definitely, I definitely agree. I mean, we are politicians to some extent. I, yeah, within the US politics community. is kind of a negative, has a negative connotation, but represent, they are a representation of the people. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like that's kind of where it more relates. No, definitely. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on in London, and if anyone's listening, you know about all the teases. Dan has been on fire in Telegram yeah. lately with all these new proposals, and when people ask when, it, I don't know if he's actually said London or if he's just made like an, a little emoji of a winky face. No, or, he said London. He has explicitly said... Somebody, there was a screenshot that I took and actually tweeted out um, of Dan responding to someone who said, when can we you know, see more announcements and believe in you again? And he said, London. Nice. So London EOS Hackathon, it's going to be a good one. So one of the things we think they're going to release, and whether they release the actual product or just make it official that they're working on it and give us a timeline on it, one of them is what we've been talking about here, the mobile wallet. And with the mobile wallet, we believe because... I mean, Dan's just a huge fan of Apple and everything, iPhone, iMac, i everything. 
Um, they, they have what's called a secure enclave and some biometric ID functionality. You want to explain that? Yeah, so every iPhone, if you have an iPhone that was made anytime between now and, and 2013, inside your actual iPhone is what's called a secure enclave chip. So basically what this is, is it's almost like a standalone computer that exists in your iPhone right now that stores your face ID or touch ID data. So right now when you know you put your fingerprint in or you put your face in if you have an iPhone 10, um, all of that data, that fingerprint data, that face ID, all that biometric data is stored on that offline separate computer, separate chip within your phone. So what Block One is actually doing is utilizing that secure enclave to store your private keys. Mm -hmm. So that will mean that in the same way that you can store your keys offline on a ledger or a Trezor, which is this separate hardware wallet, you can effectively have a ledger or a Trezor built in to your iPhone that you can just access using your face or your fingerprint. So that's sort of where the excitement comes of telling your friend, hey, download this new app. You can set up an account for free through Block One's free account program, and you're going to sign transactions with your face or your fingerprint, which is just such a cool futuristic version of EOS. So you just mentioned something, the, the, the free account. So right now, uh, prior to any of these speculative announcements we think are going to happen, yeah. there, there's a fee involved with creating an EOS account. Yeah. If you weren't part of the Genesis snapshot, uh, what do you what do you think the dollar value is at today's price? Like uh, I think five, it's ten? I think it's actually less than a dollar. I think it's point. Actually, no. Right now, it's about point four EOS to make an account. But with a future update that Dan is coming out with, it should reduce the cost of creating an account by another seventy five percent, and will then be about point one EOS, so which will be about it's sixty. It's not cents. a lot, but it, it's yeah. more than what people are used to. You can't just spin up a new wallet. Right. But what Dan has already met, he, he's confirmed this is that Block One has a program that they're going, or DAP or something that you're gonna sign up for, and it's going to give you a free EOS account if you don't already have one. Yep. But with the caveat of there's probably going to be some sort of decentralized identity verification on it. And we believe it's gonna be through the iPhone secure enclave. Yeah, or the you know the MacBook Pros that have been out in the last two, three years all have the, the fingerprint reader. Mm -hmm. So that would be another way if you want the desktop version, you get it on your Mac, you load it up. Um, but uh, I think, you know, going back to one of the previous conversations we had about why we think it's going to be the secure enclave and why they're going to have an identity system is if block one is out there paying that 60 cents or that few dollars for every person that signs up in order to prevent abuse and prevent, you know, a bot from mm -hmm. coming in and registering a million accounts for free and draining all of that money from block one. They really need a way to uniquely identify individuals. And what's more unique than your fingerprint or your face ID? I don't mm -hmm. think it gets any more unique than that unless you're going to take a blood sample and do a DNA test. And if identity could be solved, then it opens up the door to something Dan has written extensively about, especially around 2016. He's written about something called universal basic income. Um, now, if you've been following the show or just the Telegram channels, um, you kind of understand where I'm coming from here. Um, about two weeks ago, we had an episode where we talked about the worker proposal system uh, that was initially planned for EOS. And what that was, was it was uh, a 4% inflation on the, on the total supply of tokens would be used every year to fund uh, proposed projects. Um, and we can get into some of them, but some of them were like for security, code review, some arbitration stuff. It would all fund that, and it would be based on token holders voting uh, to what, they, what projects that they wanted to fund. Um, but the issue that Dan had with that was he didn't trust uh, it from not being abused by whale manipulators. So what that means is if you have a lot of tokens, you could basically pick and choose wh which projects you want to get voted in because not 100% of the billion tokens are actually going to vote. Right. So the smaller, the smaller and percentage and less people who are actually voting, 
the more risk there is for a whale or a, a group of whales, a cartel of whales, uh, to manipulate the market and kind of allow the rich to get richer. So Dan has proposed removing the WPS from the system contract, which it, it's not really even being used yet anyway. Um, and he, over the last week, has been going crazy about proposing what is the universal basic income. Now, I, I don't think that this is something... I don't think he could implement it anytime soon. Right. But well, I think... Want to kind of explain what, what it means and yeah, I mean, with the digital identity, how it fits in? So Dan is not the first person to ever write about or, or come up with universal basic income, but it's kind of been looked at as this solution in the future. Let's say that you know, 75% of people can't get a job because they've been replaced by a robot, basically. They've been replaced by, you know, massive increases in automation, which we're seeing now, you know, if your only skill set is to be a cashier at McDonald's and they replace you with a little kiosk that people can go up and order on a touchscreen, you're obviously out of a job. And if you don't have skills to get more value in the economy, you you aren't going to have any money. And then what happens? Are you just going to let 75% mm -hmm. of the world die? Um, so universal basic income will basically be the minimum amount of money that people need to sort of live, to sustain their life, and you would give it to everybody in the world. I, I have some some moral problems with it. I'm not 100% in favor of it, but that's basically with, the, the concept. With EOS, though, I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be able to sustain any source of living. Universal basic income, if it were implemented on EOS, and the way Dan proposed it was um, someone, someone on Telegram asked him if he was proposing redistributing the 4% inflation that was originally meant for the WPS, it, they asked if, if he was proposing that they redistribute it to all token holders. And he answered that with two unique individuals. Which I think, I think this is interesting because I think the solution to the worker proposal fund that Dan is, is concerned about, this whale manipulation, is staring him right in the face. If they do release this identity system, we can have a different voting structure where you can only vote for the worker proposal fund fund proposals like if you can only vote on which projects are going to be funded through that system if you have that unique id associated with your account and then each person will get one vote mm -hmm. i think that alone would solve his concerns with the worker proposal fund that where i don't think you need to then just redistribute inflation to token holders i'd rather if there's going to be some kind of redistribution i'd rather they just burn the extra inflation rather than constantly devaluing people's eos every year so I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm ready to say that I would be on board with a UBI initially. Right. Um, I, I think this is a very, very long-term plan, um, and it would depend on a lot of things happening that, that kind of people hypothesize around, like the global financial collapse and the multi-trillion dollar market cap of crypto. Like, all, all that stuff would have to happen first, I think. Right. But, but it is an interesting idea, and it's not something that hasn't been proposed in, in real life off of the blockchain. Uh, in doing a little bit of research for this episode, I, I saw that um, Alaska actually had a universal basic income for a period of time. Wow! And I don't. And then there's also in Canada they, they've um, tested it in like individual cities uh, over different periods of time. And actually, the whole country of Switzerland in 2016 actually put it up for vote uh, on referendum. And they voted it down by 70% of the people in Switzerland voted down a Good universal basic income. That's, I mean, I have some, not to get too deep in like a, a debate. I know we had kind of talked about doing a little bit of a UBI debate, but I don't know. I have problems with just handing people money for free. I think like the biggest example that I look at in, in the past is the welfare system. Obviously, there are people on the welfare system utilizing that as that sort of, you know, safety net fallback that aren't abusing the system and aren't just draining it for its resources to, you know, live and not work. But I think there is a significant amount of 
bad actors in the welfare system, just collecting free money, having more children to get more money, that are abusing that system where I don't know that a UBI or giving people free money is necessarily the right solution for when these future problems arise. I mean, that, that's like the most common argument you hear against. And just from reading it, I can't argue against it because I'm not familiar enough with the topic. But basically, you have two, in, in life, you have three options of what, how you could live your life. You could work for someone else, you could work for yourself, or you can die, or you could do nothing. Sorry, not, you can't die. You, you I mean, might doing, die. doing nothing is kind of the equivalent of dying, though, to yeah. some extent. And for a lot of people who, who don't have money, your only option is, number one, to work for someone else. There, there's never, ever going to be an opportunity to work for yourself. And in this future decentralized economy, that sounds like it's where everyone's headed is. Everyone kind of, like, we, we see it today with the gig economy. Yeah. Uh, look, look at Uber. Right. You, could, you, could, you could literally rent out part of your house in an Airbnb and drive an Uber, work for yourself be, because of they're not decentralized systems. They're centralized systems with a, a decentralized em employee force. Well, even I was talking with somebody uh, named Aaron Schneider who reached out over email to me about crypto tax questions. He's a CPA and kind of looking to get in that field. And shout out to you, Aaron, if you're watching or listening to this episode. Um, but we were talking a lot about the gig economy and sort of how that will be transformed by all of these different dApps that are building on the blockchain. And I was talking about... Um, I said, in the relatively near future, I believe we'll see people making a living from completely virtual token-based worlds. So rather than getting paid for doing freelance design or writing work or driving for Uber, like you said, an individual could choose to be you know, a human oracle for an EOS prediction market or set up a virtual shop in a virtual world that's on the EOS blockchain. So I think as the amount of traditional jobs where you're working for somebody else decreases, I think we're, we may simultaneously see an increase in these sort of virtual gigs that people can do, where these are jobs that you know, we can't even really comprehend right now. No. We can't sort of come up with them because they're totally new concepts and totally new worlds that haven't been built yet. But I think five, ten years down the line, we may look at this as a normal thing like, oh, yeah, I, I sell virtual items. I own that virtual store in that virtual world, mm -hmm. and that's how I, I pay my bills. But I, I think more of that's going to happen that will hopefully offset the amount of unemployment around the world. Well, another thing is we talk about this worker proposal system and then arbitration. As this system grows and scales, do you know how many little tiny disputes are going to come up that we're going to need an army of arbitrators to, to resolve? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's going to need to be an army of arbitrators who are all getting paid in micropayment. You, you think about it. So there, as our system scales on, on EOS, there, there's going to be thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of cases in arbitration. Um, that for the worker proposal fund, there's going to be thousands of proposals. We're going to need a lot of people to sift through this. And I, I think there will eventually be a reputation system. So let's say I want to be a, a decentralized arbitrator and I want to take arbitration cases occasionally. Over time, I'm going to arbitrate cases and build up a reputation so that whenever um, someone wants to um, send, send money through, through a smart contract with arbitration. And if they want to pick and choose their arbitrators, they, they could pick me based on my reputation and see that I've arbitrated hundreds of cases and have a good, good review. Right. And I think I'm totally cool with arbitration on that level, as long as it's opt in and I can sort of say, Hey, I want this arbitration board to handle my arbitration cases with this contract that I'm doing or with this business deal or whatever the case may be similar to how, you know, you write a business contract today and you say, this contract will be governed under the laws of the state of New York or Pennsylvania or wherever you want to kind of pick that arbitration jurisdiction. And I think it should be very similar, but totally opt in on EOS eventually. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, it's the difference between if I'm sending one EOS to Rob, I could send it directly to Rob, 
but let, let's say Rob promises to do something for that EOS, I have no way of making him fulfill that obligation. So by using an arbitrator, we would use a, 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 a trusted middleman and instead of me sending a token directly to Rob, we would write, a, we would write our own smart contract based on what, what I want in return for that one EOS token. So for that one EOS token, Rob, is, he said he's going to sell me a black cat. So I, I, I put my one EOS token into this arbitrator uh, smart contract, and then Rob sends me a white cat. And I, I say, whoa, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to fight this in arbitration. So then I argue that dispute, and then it, all, all the tokens get held up. I, I don't know what happened with the cat. I guess I would just <laughs> keep it for a little bit. But basically, the arbitrator would take both of our arguments and probably charge a fee to the loser and come up with a resolution to that dispute. Right. It would basically be, and I don't even know if we would need to do a smart contract or not, or just sign something that includes an arbitrator in our our payment. I'm not sure, 100% sure how it would work. I think you would just include the hash of the arbitrator in, in the... Hmm, that makes sense. Yeah, I was reading uh, Thomas Cox actually actually recommended an article to me on Monday about uh, governance and kind of where what direction we're headed in to make smart contracts applicable by law. And it was, I'll admit it, it's completely over my head. But eventually uh, it's expected that actually from like my limited knowledge of this stuff is that in the future there needs to be like jurisdictions like countries who have their own like arbitrators who could be hashed into these smart contracts that they're the decision makers because you, you think about a blockchain you, you can't really in, enforce certain things that you could enforce in, in real like criminal or civil law um i'll, I'll include the uh, article in the description of uh, anywhere you're listening to this show or watching it i'll include it so you guys could read it but it's super interesting and super high level and of course Ian Gregg was uh, like the resource of all the references, and he's just a genius. I don't think the article was written by him, but but I'll share I'll share it in the the link notes. Awesome. Do you want to uh, move past universal basic income to uh, another proposal that came up recently? Yeah. So this one was interesting because I, I there wasn't like a blog post on it, but there was a eight minute YouTube video by a group of people or a person uh, called EOS Weekly. And what they proposed was electing code producers who would have a similar similar role to block producers, but slightly different. You want to kind of so their proposal, and then we'll talk about whether you know we agree or disagree with it, or how we might change it. But their proposal is basically to um, you know right now you have 21 block producers that are paid one percent inflation from the network. These are the people like us at Cypherglass who are processing the transactions and doing network upgrades and you know fixing bugs and, and basically keeping the network online. Um, this proposal, in addition to the 21 block producers, wants to add 21 code producers, which are also paid and elected in the very same way that block producers are elected, with 1% network inflation, which would be more inflation in the network. Um, and the goal of these code producers would basically be to manage the EOSIO code. So these would be people that are writing updates and improvements to it, um, people that are you know, maybe setting up watchdogs to make sure that block producers are doing the right thing, people that are doing smart contract auditing, but essentially all centers around the EOSIO code and making sure that it continues to upgrade and evolve and, and sort of be stable in the same way that block producers are making sure that the network is stable. Um, the, their argument is kind of, you know, right now block one is the one writing all of these updates or writing most of the updates. They obviously have a bunch of volunteers in their GitHub that are, you know, committing as well. But it, it's sort of looking to the future, I think, where block one maybe isn't publishing any EOSIO code anymore and we need people to step in to do it. Yeah, that, I, I actually looked at that the other day because uh, prior to the mainnet launch, um, EOS, their GitHub account was the most active one on GitHub for C, C++, I think, and probably for a lot of other things. But it's, a, it's like dead now. 
I don't know. I would say dead. It, it's, it's I mean, they still have, there are still hundreds of commits there every week. And I think if you think about what a commit is on GitHub, I could change one letter in a in a file and then submit that. And on that map that everybody's looking at, it's going to say, oh, that one's more active because mm -hmm. they changed one letter and committed, one letter and committed, one letter and committed. You can make it look like more or less. But I mean, from my perspective as, as being a part of Cypherglass, the block producer, that we continue to see the updates come when there's a bug like the RAM issue. We continue to see Block One step in and help us fix it. So yeah, I, would admit, I think they're I'm still not doing their job. I'm not looking at the GitHub code daily. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I, I, I unfortunately am not able to work on ES 24 hours a day like you. Yeah, but um, but I mean, talking about the code producers, it's something that at first I thought that they were talking about. Oh, these are 21 people who are going to build DApps and build the software. So it's not people. It would actually be like companies. Well, companies so just, are just in the like same block way. Producers. Block producers. It's like yeah, you are a block producer, but it's not you. It's not just me. It's, it's me and our whole team. Yeah. yeah. But the, I don't know. Personally, this is a job that I think, you know, one of the main things that we're talking about was GitHub repo management, you know, where you're storing the code, where you're storing updates to the code. It's something that we as block producers are already really doing. I mean, we have a separate repo that, that we sort of keep up to date. There are other block producers that keep their separate repo. And then there's one main EOS mainnet repo that people continually pull from. But if you go to something like eosnetworkmonitor.io, you'll actually notice that um, a lot of people are on sort of this main version of the software, and it, it does the version based on color codes. And then other block producers, it depends, are on slightly different versions. And what that is is just them pulling from their own repo versus the community EOS mainnet repo. But I really don't think it's necessary. I don't think there's enough work here to be done where you need 21 groups or 21 individuals to come in and manage code and do these things when block producers are already kind of doing it. I don't think so either, and I think Kevin Rhodes was talking about this, what you just mentioned. I, under I didn't understand it at the time, but you just re-mentioned it as some people use the, the main repo and some people house their own repos. Right. But no matter how much you trust these auditors, you're always going to still need to have someone in-house as a block producer to audit the code again before you implement it. Oh, absolutely. So r whether there's 21 code producers or even if block one themselves say this code's good to go, every block producer still needs to audit that code themselves before they implement it. So it's doing double the work, I think. Absolutely. I just don't think, I think we need to be careful as we implement new proposals. I think proposals are great and people should continue to propose them because they start conversations and get people thinking about things from a different perspective that maybe they weren't thinking about before. But we need to be very careful when we're talking about inflation in the network because inflation ultimately is devaluing everybody's tokens even you know through block producers by one percent every year fortunately it's been offset by ram trading fees mm -hmm. um where it, it you know that one percent hasn't even made more than a billion tokens um but i think we need to be careful about adding new methods of inflation especially when they're not necessarily necessary at this moment it's just something we need to be very careful about because we don't want to get to a point where we have 12 percent inflation because there are 12 different groups of producers that mm -hmm. are all doing their own thing when the block producers can kind of handle a lot of this responsibility i think everyone can agree with that even with the wps i, I still support it fully but i don't support it needing four percent uh four percent is a lot yeah on top of the one percent of oh block i totally producers. agree i think uh, to get things rolling, I think the WPS could probably work off of like a 1% or 2%, or yeah. even 1% just to get the emergency items taken care of. Yeah, I'm in favor of 1%, get the system going, maybe even wait to see what happens in London. If they do announce this ID system, mm -hmm. we could, boom, we solve the whale issue by requiring everybody to have that unique ID to vote. And then one ID equals one vote. It becomes a much more democratic process versus just, you know, being controlled by the amount of money or EOS that you hold. So... Just to conclude this, you're against the code producers? In the, in its current form, I'm against the code producers because I think it's a job that 
we as block producers are already doing, and we really don't need to add that extra 1% inflation when that could be saved for something else like the Worker Proposal Fund. Uh, so are you for or against the WPS? I am for the WPS at a reduced rate of 1%. Um, and just kind of seeing how it goes, even if there isn't that ID system, which I, I do think will exist, but even if that isn't implemented, I think it's worth doing a trial run for six months or a year at that 1%, seeing, okay, you know, was this manipulated by whales? Did the community come in and sort of, you know, choose which projects? I think it's, it would be, I think, a shame to remove such a potentially innovative part of the EOS network and what makes it so unique without even testing it and seeing if it's going to work. Just just saying, oh, there's going to be a problem. Let's not even try it. I think mm -hmm. we have to try it and we owe it to the EOS community to try it because it could be so innovative and it could add so much value to the EOS network. And if it doesn't work, it could always be amended out. Exactly. That, that's the beauty of EOS. Absolutely. It, its governance model allows it to always be interchangeable at any time. You, you could change anything as long as the community can agree on it and that that's pretty much what's going to set this apart from everything else is the governance model and it's never Definitely. been done before so it's going to be a long long road but it's going to be exciting and we're basically looking to change the world as yeah. crazy as that sounds yeah it's crazy as someone like brock pierce sounds talking about changing the world um now that dan's like talking about ubi and all these big picture things uh, it's making more and more sense each day but it's still like a generational gap like there's gonna be a long time oh yeah before this stuff happens. I mean and if we look at you know block one's initial commitment where they said hey you know the, the hundred million tokens that block one has a lot of people think oh they just have those hundred million tokens now but those tokens actually vest over a period of 10 years which means every year they get 10% of those tokens or 10 million tokens so it's going to take 10 years for block one to get their hundred million EOS tokens and actually be able to trade them and move them or sell them or lease them to somebody else whatever they want to do but as part of that 10 years, Dan has, has not only said that he personally has a long-term commitment to Block 1, but has said that Block 1 has a commitment to publishing updates to the EOSIO software for 10 years. So I think they're also thinking on this sort of decades timeline where, you know, what does the world look like a decade from now? Do we need UBI then? Do we need something else? And it's cool to see people thinking that far ahead. We, we talked about this earlier today is with, with the inflation built in, let's just use the 5% as an example as if, the 4% will get allocated somehow, and then right. we have the 1% for the block producers. After 10 years from now, I don't have the math in front of me, but in 10 years, uh, block one's gonna own much, much less than 10% of the network. Oh, absolutely. And if you read into Dan's Telegram conversation, he kind of spells it out. The reason he chose 5% is because all um, established money would turn over every 100 years. Um, you, you guys can check the Telegram to make more sense of that. But basically, you could have all, all the wealth you, you want right now, but uh, if a 4% and I'll, I'll talk about the 4% UBI, but if 4% if of the total uh, EOS tokens were inflated every year and given only to unique individuals and not based on how many tokens you already currently own, over a long period of time, if, um, if, if you're like a whale and you're not reinvesting your money and b building more wealth, you're eventually not really going to be wealthy anymore over time. Right. Which over I think decades. is decades. It's an interesting concept. I do think that 
5% total inflation is too high for the long term. I, I think so, too. I think something like 2% total, including block producers, including work proposal, maybe like a small amount of inflation for, for some future concept. I think 2% is a good number because right now with 1%, it's being offset by RAM trading fees and these other EOSIO name fees when you're bidding on you know premium account names, where now I think there's actually less than a billion EOS tokens. We started with a billion. Now there's less because there's been more RAM trading than there has been um, inflation through block well, producers. Well, if so. you read into Dan's um, like property rights and universal basic income articles he wrote a while ago, when he's explaining how a UBI could actually be possible in the real world, he said specifically it can't, it would be paid for with inflation, right? but the uh, actual money would not be inflationary. And if you think about it with EOS, what that basically would mean is whatever inflation there is, it's always going to be offset by something else, like, right. like the Rex trading fees or the Ram trading fees or whatever other, whatever other services come out over, over the next however many years. It, it's going to be a system that has inflation, but it's not inflationary. Right. And because that can only happen whenever there's an equilibrium of um, production and inflation. Right. Which I think is great. I mean, if you think... Also, when we're looking at inflation, if you think about the worker proposal fund, will adding 1% inflation add more than 1% of value to the EOS network? 100%. I think absolutely. I think even if there was some whale manipulation, I think it would still add more than 1% value. Same with block producers. I mean, we're out there upgrading our infrastructure. We're sort of these, as you said, representatives of the community. We're adding way more than 1% of value back into the EOS network, you know, based on what we're, we're getting paid from the network. I'll so. tell you one thing, Rob. We This is the 21st episode of our podcast. Yeah. The first time on video. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like I, I've given probably enough to the community that outweighs the actual tokens I own. <laughs> 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 that's fair. I like that. So I, I feel like uh, that's my role as a community member. Yeah. Is I try to give back to the community. And that's why we keep doing this show. Yeah. I mean, my job is not to do a podcast or to edit and produce the podcast, now video. My, my job is a completely different thing. I do this because I work in the crypto industry and I love EOS. <laughs> yeah. And I want to grow the community. And that, that's my I think role. We, I think we need a term for that. Like your personal, your you're personally deflationary. You know when people say they have like a, oh, a carbon yeah. neutral footprint? <laughs> you have like a an inflation neutral footprint where you're 100%. not adding any, anything yeah. to the network. I like that. That's great. All right. So what other topics do we have before we wrap up? I think we ran out of notes. The last thing I wanted to talk about was something we didn't mention in the, the resource management section was that uh, Dan says they have a new Wasm interpreter. Wasm is WebAssembly. It's sort of... Uh, one of the languages that, that you can use to interface with, with EOS, but they have a, a, a new version of that coming soon that will double the CPU and bandwidth per token. So basically what that's saying is, you know, right now if you have 10 EOS and you have those staked for transactions, you can do a certain number of transactions by keeping those 10 EOS staked. Once this new update comes out that makes it more efficient to process transactions, you'll actually be able to do um, as much as you know, as many transactions as if you had 20 EOS staked. So you'll be able to do double with the same amount of EOS, which is awesome to see. It, it reminds me very much of... Uh, you know, Tesla's sort of software update model <laughs> where you buy a car, but then it gets better and better over time. With EOS, you get into this network, it gets better and better over time. You get more claim to these resources as the network continues to grow and expand. Really, really looking forward to what the future brings. That's what's so cool about this. That's why I love talking about it because it forces me to stay in tune to the EOS community. It forces me to talk to other people and know what's constantly going on. And through doing that, it opens up my eyes to, to what the future is going to bring. And it's going to be very, very bright. Definitely. Yeah, the, the more, you know, people ask me because of the, the million dollar US bet, do you still think it's possible? Could we hit $1,000 by the end of the year? I think in a certain scenario where a certain number of things happen, I do still think that that's possible. But 
beyond that, people ask me, are you still bullish on EOS even though you know we're at $6 versus the, the all-time high of 20 or 22? I'm more bullish now than I ever have been because the more that I interact with the community, the more I see these upgrades to the network go out, the more I see these new proposals and referendum coming together, the more and more excited I get about this and the more and more I see EOS sort of you know making a bigger gap between them and all of these other blockchains that are behind them now with EOS having more now daily active users than the dApps on Ethereum. So already in the, the three or so months that EOS has been live, it has surpassed Ethereum, which has been out for two or three years in the number of daily active users on dApps, which I think is a major accomplishment. And we're only going to see more and more of that as time goes on. And as far as transaction volume, if you go to Blocktivity, so the top three blockchains based on transactional activity is EOS, Steam, and BitShares. And do you know who built all <laughs> three of those pieces of software? Yep. Dan Someone's Larimer. got some experience with scalable blockchain systems. Oh, absolutely. And if you look at EOS also, including Steam and BitShares, but if you just take EOS out, EOS actually does more transactions per second, but also more transactions per day. It has the highest transaction volume of all of those other blockchains combined. So you add up Steam, BitShares, Bitcoin, Ethereum, NEO, Ethereum Classic, everything. Add up all of the other cryptos, and EOS is doing more transactions than all of them combined. I think it's at... 70%, 69 or 70% of total blockchain transactions, which is pretty nuts. I mean, that, do you know, you know we talk you about- know more nuts than that, Rob? What? More nuts? That the network's using a fraction of a percent yeah. of its total bandwidth capacity. So it's already doing more transactions on a daily basis than the whole top 10 combined yep. minus EOS. And it's doing it at like bare minimum usage of its resources and yeah, not even just the top 10 combined the top 10,000 combined I mean, every single blockchain you add them up eos is doing more it's crazy killer yeah. so you brought it up earlier how, how are you feeling about that thousand dollar million dollar <laughs> thousand dollar eos bet i still honestly people still think i'm crazy I, I saw a tweet that was like the easiest way for a smart person to look like a stupid person is to make a short-term price prediction and i was like oh yeah you have you have a point there but you're in good company, though, man. Novogratz yeah. has made insane, like, not bets, but predictions. Right. Come on. Like. Well, I think something that people are shocked by or, or don't realize is that the, the bet is denominated in EOS. It's denominated as a 1,000 EOS bet, which I've said many times yeah. in Telegram and when people ask about it. I was there when the bet was made. Yeah, so <laughs> we're both collateral, or we're both... Uh, hedged on both sides you know we both have that thousand eos and we'll basically just swap so if it hits a thousand dollars he owes me a million dollars as that thousand eos if it hits five hundred dollars i owe him five hundred thousand dollars as that thousand i was EOS. just looking q's actually not in the office he's probably getting lunch or something oh i, I got gotcha. to see if he's in here i was gonna call him yeah in. bring him in for the video but <laughs> i, I think it's still one. let's say london happens they come up with a wallet that has a built-in decentralized exchange it has a built-in identity system it's Steam easy to go 2.0 please i think if all of that happened and then a mainstream dap came out from block one or somebody else like a steam at 2.0 or disrupting facebook i think it is possible we could hit that kind of crazy insanity level in the next four months um if it doesn't happen i i think you know it will eventually just maybe not on the timeline that i predicted but i think ultimately it's been a fun bet that has gotten people thinking about the future of eos and the potential of eos and i'm excited to see what happens over the next four months it's I, have gonna a, be I, interesting. Have a, I have a price prediction yeah do you i think leading up to the hackathon september 22nd and 23rd yeah i think we're gonna see a price pump yeah a price every, pump. every <laughs> everyone <laughs> that's like, it no specific yeah uh, so basically everyone's expecting big news we've seen this yeah. every time like i remember this, this the one in south korea back right. in january Everyone is expecting some crazy big news, and it was. It was tomorrow BC getting announced, oh, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, a VC fund associated with Eric Schmidt, the CEO of Google. So my prediction now, is but... all the speculators are going to come out of the woodwork the week oh, yeah. leading up to the EOS uh, hackathon in London, 
and then I think the news is going to come out, and I mean, the expectations are so high that there, there's probably going to be a dump afterwards. It won't I be me know. dumping. I hodl. I hodl, bro. <laughs> uh, I like it. <laughs> I've hodled the whole way up and the whole way down. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think we're going to see that. That's my price prediction. I usually don't make them, but I just, I, I know this is the cycle that happens. So yeah. the market seems like it's doing a little bit of green. EOS has been doing really well the past couple of days. Uh, I think EOS is going to lead the pack for recovery. And if we're talking about timelines, um, around that same time frame, uh, the delay on the Bitcoin ETFs coming up uh, for, for the right. new decision. I think it might be September 20th, actually. But like I said last week, I'm expecting another delay. But dude, if, if I see a delay, I'm bullish still. Oh, absolutely. Anything but a denial, and I am complete balls out bull. I think even with a denial, I think there are a lot of people within the crypto community that would be happy to see a denial, to happy to see kind of institutions stay away for a little while. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think we'll see what happens, but there's enough power in just the EOS technology and what it's done and what it's going to continue to do that EOS on its own, Bitcoin ETF, no Bitcoin ETF, I don't think it matters. I think EOS is is going to be the blockchain oh, yeah. platform of the future. I'm, I'm not I'm not relying on the Bitcoin ETF. Right. I, I'm, I'm relying on dan to fulfill this vision brendan to fulfill the vision brock's vision like it, it's all going to come together yeah and it's it, not going to be instant but i think we're going to see the groundwork getting laid within the next year and we're going to have a much much clearer picture of what to come and i think what everyone needs to remember is like like we work in this space the people listening to this during this bear market you guys probably are, are ingrained in, in the crypto and blockchain space so you guys understand but a lot of people don't understand that we're, if we're at the early adoption phase now, we're at the very, very early, early portion of this. Um, Andreas, uh, I can't even say his last Antinopoulos. name. Antonopoulos. Antonopoulos. He, he says, he, he actually did a Q&A recently on YouTube and he, someone asked him if, if we are in the early adoption phase and he said no. And I, I like the term he refers to it. He says, we're still on the lunatic fringe. <laughs> we're all still just a bunch of lunatics. Right. And the lunatic's job is to tell the early adopters how great everything is to get them to become early adopters. And that, <laughs> that's like what I see my role as right now. I'm a freaking lunatic. We've been doing this podcast for 21, uh, more than 21 weeks. We've taken some weeks off, but 21 episodes, we're going to continue doing them. We're going to do more video, um, more podcasts, hopefully in the future. We're going to, we're going to get the word out on EOS. So w whether our listeners want to help us get the word out or not, we're, we're going to continue grinding here. Absolutely. I know Cypherglass is going to continue grinding. We're going to keep grinding at ICO. Like we're going to grow this blockchain space to fulfill this grandeur vision that we all have. Absolutely. I think that's a, a, a great, great place to, to wrap it up. <laughs> I, I love it. I love the, uh, the sort of speech at the end gets everybody hyped up. But uh, I'm, I'm hyped. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you were one of the few that, that were out there and you said, oh, they're doing a video version. Let me go watch it on YouTube. Let us know. Did you enjoy it? Did you hate it? Should we do other angles? Should we keep the same angle? What did you think? Just let us know in the comments and uh, we'll take that into account for next yes, time. Yes, please smash the like button. <laughs> smash the subscribe button. I finally get to say all that stuff now. I, I felt weird doing it when we were just audio. Right. Now we're on video, so smash it. Yeah, they see the uh, the smash. But we, we love the comments, guys. Really, like, we do this on our own time. Like, I'm well, Rob's a block producer, so you're, you kind of want to get the community word out and support me doing this, and it's great. But we love your feedback. It's what drives me. Like I, I gotta every every week I gotta research all the news. I gotta talk to all my contacts to see what's going on. I a, after we record this, I gotta cut it up and produce it. So I put a lot of effort into the, this podcast and now this vlog 
to, for, for you guys, the community. So I hope you guys all enjoy it. Let us know that you're enjoying it in the comments. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm Blockchain Zach with a I'm, K. I'm Finchify, F-I-N-C-H-I-F-Y. All right, so that's a good place to finish off. Once again, I'm Zach Gall. And I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS.